Thank you. Thanks, guys, for uh, sharing um, the stories of God's grace and working in your lives. I was really grateful for um, those testimonies as well as um, the labors of our youth ministry, Pastor Albert, other uh, youth teachers who have been faithfully um, laboring so that um, there might be fruit such as that in the lives of of people. Um, It was probably about 50 years ago when I think it was Bob, was it Bob Dylan? He wrote this song called The Times They Are A-Changing. Was that Bob Dylan? Nobody knows. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it was him. But it is basically a song that talks about, um, it was written during a time of massive social and political upheaval with the civil rights movement and, and Vietnam and all these things going on. And part of the message was about how quickly times are changing and how there's a dividing gap a cultural and generation gap between one generation and the next generation. And the song was written as a way of explaining that and describing that. And though it was written many years ago, I think that's a song for every generation. It's a song for every time. We could sing that song today as well. When you think about the ever-growing chasm between uh, one generation and another. I know um, we have a, a lot of people who are new today or you don't regularly worship here. You will recognize that there's a wide spectrum of age ranges here. We are very intentional at Harvest about being intergenerational. And so we start with 12-year-old um, and then we go up all the way to about 112 or whoever, whatever age you are. There's no upper limit. Um, I say 112. We don't have anyone, obviously, of that age, but it helps the 55-year-olds to feel right in the middle. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, We are intergenerational in that um, regard. And so just to kind of help us to feel a little bit, those who are on the older half, to feel really old, let me tell you about the mindset of our youngest ones in here, our uh, our 12-year-olds, our sixth grade. Let me tell you a little something about the way they think. They have only known in their lifetime two presidents, George W. and Barack Obama. Isn't that crazy? For them, they were born... Uh, Probably they were one year old when 9-11 happened. One year old. Uh, They were six when the Virginia Tech shootings happened. They were obviously not born when Columbine happened. The price of postage stamps for them has never been below 37 cents. And they've never paid less than $5 for a movie at the theater, right? Unless they go to like one of those cheap theaters. But they never paid less than $5. When you talk about uh, movies... It's, it's interesting that, you know, it, for us, whenever we think of a movie that, was, uh, that came out before our time, we think that's so old. That's a classic. For them, The Lion King is a classic. Mulan is a classic. Right, so last week when uh, Brian Mingi Pack was sharing his testimony about Toy Story 2, they're like, Toy Story 2, that's so old. Right, that, wasn't even, that wasn't even out when they were, well, it had just come out before they were born. Then you think about, Harry Potter entered Hogwarts before they were born as well. This is the generation that we're talking about here. The internet was in existence before they were. Uh, They've never seen probably a floppy disk or don't know what it is. They don't know how to write in cursive. They've never experienced the exhilarating joy of seeing a fresh set of encyclopedias on their bookshelf. The times they are a-changing. The world is quickly evolving, and with it, so do we. They have never grown up in a world where they were not afraid of terrorist attacks. 
They've never grown up in a world where pornography was not available to them on the internet. They've never grown up in a world where homosexuality was not an alternative lifestyle. And they've not grown up in a world thinking that we are living in a post-Christian nation. Right? The times are changing. It's a whole different world than the world of 50 years ago, isn't it? Kind of makes us wonder, what will the world look like 50 years from now? Right? When we're at an older age, when our sixth graders are 60 years old, 65 years old, what is the world going to look like then? More importantly, the more important question is this. What kind of a world are we creating for the generations who come behind us? Because we know that it's not just passively these things are happening. We, as the generations before, are creating a kind of culture and creating a kind of world that they will one day inherit. So what kind of a world are we leaving for your children, for my children, and their children to come behind them? We're in this series talking about the unfamiliar, the familiar passions of God. And I want to talk today about God's passion for the generations and to see that we are incumbent, that the responsibility is inherent upon each of us to care for those who come behind us. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to read from two different books of the Bible um, to to try and get a, a little bit broader spectrum here. But Deuteronomy 32, verses 44 through 47, and then we're going to read from Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 15. Um, and I pray that this message would speak to our hearts and it would shake us and move us into action. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 44 through 47. This is God's word. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. When Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Um, This is uh, Moses. He's speaking. He gives one of his last speeches. He is told he's going to die on Mount Nebo. He blesses the children of Israel, and then he dies. Joshua comes along. He takes up the mantle of leadership, leads them to the edge of the promised land. And Joshua, at about 110 years old, is about to die. And then this is where we pick up in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through, um, I want to read 10 through 15 here. Okay, so Joshua, that next generation about to die, verse 10. After that whole generation, Joshua's generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. This is God's word. We see in this passage, 
And as I will show you in a second through many other passages of Scripture, that God's heart is not only for salvation, for the salvation of souls, but it is also for the generations. That his heartbeat has always been that one generation would declare the glory of God to another generation and would tell of his saving acts and tell of his greatness and tell of his character so that other generations would then rise up to live and worship in obedience to the true and living God. As we look into these two passages, I want to share just three thoughts about God's heart for the generations. And the first one is this. The next generation is the responsibility of the current generation. Okay, the next generation is the responsibility of the current generation. If you look at what it says in verse 46, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. The reason why Moses is telling the people the commands of God, the songs of God, the teachings of God, saying ingrain it in your heart, burn it in your heart, is so that they might pass it to the generation to come. The responsibility for the next generation lies within the hands of this current generation. But a lot of us don't think that way, do we? Isn't it true that when we look at the younger people, we think, oh my gosh, they're so weird. Don't we think like that? Like when we think about, for me, I'm in my mid-30s now. When I think about younger people, I think, wow, their tattoos are really weird. Why do they have, they have them in some odd places? Or they've got weird piercings. Back in our day, we only had them, not, in, not we, but my generation only had them in their ears. But now they're like everywhere. They're in their nose and in their uh, eyebrows and in their belly buttons and all kinds of weird places. They're weird people. And why do they dress like that? And why do they listen to that kind of a mu- music? And, and wh- what's going on with these people? We look at them, we're like, man, that's weird. These people are so different. And instead of taking responsibility for them, we outsource them to other people. Maybe those who are younger than us, who are a little bit more hip than us. And instead of realizing that they are our responsibility, we leave them to other people and let them take care of them. I used to feel that way after I graduated college and I was doing campus ministry and I worked for a couple of years in, in Virginia in um, property management. I moved down here. And the one thing that I said is I will not do youth ministry. I will not work with high schoolers and middle schoolers because they're weird. Like I don't understand them. Like they color their hair, they dye, they do all these weird things to themselves. And I don't understand them. I could never, I could never work with them. And through a bait and switch, I was suckered into doing youth ministry. And because of it, my life was changed because I realized that not only is this enjoyable, but this is where the heartbeat of God lies, is in our investment into the generations to come behind us. This was all very theoretical to me until my friends started having kids. It was all theoretical to me until I started having kids. And I realized that somebody's got to take care of these kids. Who's going to take care of Manny? Oh my gosh, I think I need to do that. Who's going to take care of that generation? If it's true, if it's true that the number of people going into seminary to study to be ministers is drastically shrinking, the number of people who are pastors right now is drastically being reduced because for a moral failure or burnout or whatever it is, more pastors are leaving ministry than ever before, then who's going to lead my children and your children and the next generation, who's going to be there serving the churches for them? Who's going to be taking care of them? Who's going to be uh, teaching Sunday school for these people, for these children? 
This was all very theoretical to me until we started having our own kids, and I realized this is highly personal, and it is deeply practical. I was in Seattle and Portland on vacation a couple weeks back uh, for, you know, a couple reasons, and was out there, and one day I was hanging out with, um, with Olivia's brother, uh, Justin, and their family. Now, they've got a now four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son, and we're hanging out at the zoo, a lot of fun, and uh, looking at all these cool things, and, and Manny and Tabitha are a year apart, and so they're laughing and playing together, and Barnabas is just like two, so he's doing his own thing, and Elijah is, you know, he's so little that he's just kind of like looking around in awe of everything. And so as we're hanging out, somewhere in between like the elephants and the gorillas, Tabitha and I were hanging out, and she starts singing this song that she learned at church. Right? It was Toby Mac. I don't want to gain the whole world. And lose my soul. I was like, oh, Tabitha, that's Toby Mac. You're so good. I started calling her Tabby Mac. And I thought it was so cute. My first reaction, that's so cute. She's singing Toby Mac. But my initial, right, immediately after that, I felt like God dropped a little bomb in my heart. And it just, it exploded in there. And it's just continued to reverberate since that time. As she was singing this song, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. I thought in my heart, God's saying that is the unspoken cry of a generation. Who's saying, you can give us everything else in this world, but don't give us all these things at the forfeit, at the expense of our soul. Said, you could give us the riches, but Don't forget to give us Jesus. Don't forget to give us what matters. You could take the world. You could take the riches. You could take the cars. You could take the fame. You could take take all of these things, but give us what really matters at the end of the day. I don't want to live my life and go my entire life and stand at the end of it all looking back and say, I wasted. I wasted it all. You didn't teach me what really mattered. You taught me how to sing. You taught me how to dance. You taught me how to do all of these things in school and watch all these TV shows and play all these sports, but you didn't give me what really mattered in life. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And I just began to think, what is it that I am passing on to those who come behind me? What is it I'm leaving behind as an inheritance, as a legacy? What are the things that my generation is passing on to those who come behind because they don't want to gain everything that this world has? And at the end of the day, to realize that they've lost everything that really mattered. You know, this is the beat of God's heart, not only in Deuteronomy and Judges, but throughout the scripture. You cannot read the covenants that God makes with his people and not realize that he makes them with an individual, but he also makes them with the seed to come behind them. You can't read of God being the God of Abraham without reading that he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the generations to come. You can't read the covenant that he makes with David to real and not realize that he promises not only David will sit on the throne, but the generations that come behind him will sit on the throne. You can't read Deuteronomy 6, the greatest passage in the Old Testament, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, without realizing that he's saying the reason that you get this is so that you could teach it to your children, so they could bind it on their fingers and wrap it around their hearts and get it into them. 
Can't read through Deuteronomy without realizing that it was written, it was a song, it was a book for the generations. You can't read the book of Numbers without realizing that it was written by the first generation, warning the second generation, don't repeat the same mistakes that we made. Same thing with the book of Judges. You cannot read the Psalms without constantly hearing this refrain. One generation will sing to the next generation. One generation will declare the work of God to the next generation. Tell the story to the generations to come behind you. You can't read about the, Paul's letters to Timothy without seeing that Timothy was only the man of God that he was, the pastor in, in, in Ephesus and the great leader of the church in Asia Minor, without seeing that his faith was passed down from his mother, from his grandmother, from Lois to Eunice to him. You cannot read the Bible without seeing that God's heart beats with an infinite love for the generations. And he places that within our hands and says, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are as sixth graders, you are responsible for those who come behind you. Even as sixth graders, you have a responsibility to the eight-year-olds, to the six-year-olds, to teach them and to train them up in the ways of the Lord. The 55-year-olds in here have a responsibility to invest, to share their successes, to share their failures with those who come behind. And we cannot outsource that to other people because the generation to come, the next generation, is, was, and always will be the responsibility of the current generation. This is the first thing that we see in Deuteronomy. The second thing that we see, if you look ahead in Judges chapter 2, the second thing that we see, neglecting the next generation has devastating consequences. Look at what it says in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Then the Israelites... Okay, verse 10 has to set it up. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, served the Baals, forsook the Lord, just touch and go, followed and worshipped various gods, provoked the Lord to anger, forsook him, served other gods, handed over to raiders, plundered, sold them to their enemies, no longer able to resist. The hand of the Lord was against them. They were in great distress. Why that key word in verse 11 then? It's because the generation, Joshua's generation, did not pass on the knowledge of God to the generation to come behind them. As a result, all of these devastating consequences came as a result. If I were to ask you a very stupid question, say, raise your hand if you would like the coming generation to experience this plight. Raise your hand. You would say, that's foolish. What are you talking about? But the sad reality is that a lot of these descriptors of the second generation in the promised land is a very close description of the generations that are coming behind us. People in great distress, forsaking the Lord, no longer serving God, serving false gods, no longer able to resist the enemy. When we neglect the next generation, this is the inevitable result, devastating results and consequences. Because sadly, though the generation behind says, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul, it seems as if we've given everything that they want, but nothing that they need. 
1963, Madeline Murray O'Hare, famed atheist, said, we need to get rid of prayer in school. And we need to get rid of it. There should be no prayer. And so we did. And then later they said, we need to get rid of the Bible in schools. Okay, stop teaching the Bible. The Bible that says, love your enemies. Okay, don't steal. Don't kill. Said, okay, let's get rid of the Bible in schools. And then later said, well, hey, let's uh, make it legal for people to go ahead and, and kill their unborn children. Let's legalize that. We said, okay, that's cool. That's fine. Then we said, let's start passing out condoms in school because boys will be boys and girls will be girls. They just start passing them out. Parents don't even have to know about it. We said, okay, that's cool. Started saying, let's take pictures of, of people in indecent positions, in de- indecent places, indecent exposure. Let's put it on the internet and call it freedom of speech. We said, well, we have to protect constitutional rights. Let's do it. And we said, let's let people in positions of power do whatever they want. Even if it's the president of the United States, what they do in close, behind closed doors is their responsibility. As long as they get the job done at the end of the day, we said, okay, that's fine. Let's let TV, media, movies show explicit sensuality, violence, gratuitous, all kinds of stuff that glorifies temptation. After all, it's just entertainment. It's not going to affect us or our next generation. That's fine. And then we begin to wonder why the generations that come are growing up with seared consciences, the inability to distinguish between right and wrong. The inability to fight against temptation. See, we cannot bash the generations that come as being, they don't understand, they, they've got it all backwards without taking responsibility for them for ourselves. Because we ultimately have to sleep in the bed that we make. We talk about, oh, they don't know anything of, of an older day, of what it means to, to work hard and honestly for a dollar. They don't know the value of hard work. If they don't know it, it's because perhaps we haven't passed it on to them. Where are they going to learn that from? When we neglect the next generation, when we let the rest of, of culture dictate what's going to happen in their lives, then we deal with the inevitable consequences of those choices that we make. Because they are our responsibility. It's written throughout the pages of Scripture. Scholarship is ca- catching up with the Bible. It says uh, 50%. If you have five caring adults in the life of a young person, 50% decrease in the likelihood of illicit uh, 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 drugs, alcohol, and sensual behavior. 50% decrease, five caring adults. National Network of Youth Ministers. Say nine out of ten young people who give their lives to Jesus Christ in high school, middle school, say it was because of the fact that there was one caring adult, one adult who invested into their lives. Nine out of ten people right, say that. Scholarship began to catch up with Scripture, but when we neglect the next generations, there are devastating consequences, devastating results that follow along with it. I think about the fact that the church is just one generation from extinction in every generation. I think about these patterns. Where we come from, we're the second generation, an English congregation of an ethnically Korean church. Oh, in Korean churches nationwide, the largest ones, there are a bunch of them, they have thousands of people. The largest second generation congregation at the most, at the most conservatively of a, a thousand, and there's probably one of them out in California. The rest of them large ones, three, four, five hundred. But most of them, to be considered big, 80 people. That's a big second-generation congregation. Look at that drop from several thousand 
to a hundred. Right, where's it going to go in the generation to come? See, when we neglect the next generation, I think so much, and I say this all the time, but so much of what we're living in is a result of the, of the tears and the prayers and the investment into the bank of prayer stored up by our first generation. That's what we're living in. But how much are we passing down in the school of prayer to the generations to come? When our children grow up, when these sixth graders rise up and they become leaders in the church, what's going to be left when they go to deposit to withdraw out of the bank of prayer? Our first generation has stored thousands of hours, stored up bottles of tears, wet pillows, rough knees, furrowed brows because they invested in prayer. They believed in the power of God, investing in a generation yet unborn. What are we passing on to the generations to come? Because if we neglect the next generation, there will be devastating consequences. If you look throughout the churches in Asia Minor that the book of Revelation written seven churches, all of them decrepit, broken, decaying, just shells, former selves of what they used to be. If you look throughout Europe, great big cathedrals that took, just took root and, and took off and now thousand people capacity sanctuaries being inhabited by 30 worshipers, 50 worshipers. We are just one generation away from extinction. And what are we going to do about it? Right, this is our responsibility. They're crying out, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And we would hear these cries. The last thing that we see, if you jump back to Deuteronomy. The last thing that we see, and here's a tinge of good news. The last thing that we see, investing in the next generation has exponential returns. Verse 47, chapter 32. They're not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses is saying, look, if you take these words to heart, you pass them on to the generations to come, then they will not live wandering around either in slavery or in the wilderness, but they will inhabit a land of promise. And for the generations to come, they will live in a land flowing with milk and honey. And in that promise, then God would raise up leaders who would do amazing things for the people of God. Saying when we begin to invest in the next generation, there can be exponential results because young people have always been used of God to bring transformation in the world. Always been used to bring transformation in the world. As you think about this, this, this reality here, I love what um, Pearl Buck, she, um, I, I've quoted her in the past, but she says something to the effect of young people do not have that, that blood, that vein of, of, of uh, skepticism circulating through their blood. They don't have that sense that it's impossible. And they don't have that, that, that sense of, no, there's no way that, that that's possible, circulating through them like the older generations do. And she says that's why they attempt the impossible and they achieve it generation after generation. There's something beautiful about the next generation that doesn't know enough to say this is not possible. And so they try and they go for it. Last week, our um, Manny, who she just turned uh, three years old, she went to the doctor for a three-year-old uh, checkup, 
And while she was there, one of the things the doctor said is she needs to eat more vegetables. So the doctor said at every meal, okay, even just start out with a pea size of whatever vegetable it is, cauliflower, carrot, broccoli, whatever it is, just give her that uh, lettuce and just let her start out with that. And so we said, okay, we're like, Manny, okay, you've got to, you got to grow up and be a big girl now. You're three, okay, so you're going to start eating vegetables. And so uh, I think it was Friday morning or yesterday morning, Saturday morning, we were eating breakfast, and um, Olive had set out tomatoes and said, Manny, today you're going to eat a tomato. We're really excited about it. And so um, I bit half of my tomato, and I put it on her plate so it will be uh, smaller. And we were like, oh, it tastes like candy. I mean, it was really sweet. It wasn't like candy, but it was good. Said, Manny, this is so great. And so she had like her, her boiled egg and her peanut butter bread and, and things like that. And she's eating all this stuff. And, and Olivia kept saying, Manny, when are you going to eat your tomato? And she's like, oh, you know, whatever. And she's eating her other stuff. And at the end, she's pretty much finished her breakfast. And so Olive again is like, when are you going to eat your tomato? <laughs> and Manny said, how about, how about I eat it after my nap? <laughs> <laughs> So we sent her to timeout and said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Just kidding. We didn't say that. But I, I put my head down and I was laughing and I was laughing and I was laughing because there's no way until it gets cold in a hot place that that would ever happen. But you have to love the audacity of that request. And we're eating breakfast. It's like 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning. After my 2 o'clock nap, I'll eat it. Are you serious? But she doesn't know any better than to attempt the impossible and to expect the impossible. That is going to really happen. And throughout history, God has always used people who had no fear of the unknown of the impossible and said, let's go for it. Let's give it a shot. That's why in the the 1930s, stadiums filled with people would say, we are yours, Hitler. Hitler. And through that group of young people, a nation was changed. In the 50s and the 60s, a group of people clad in red would, again, fill stadiums in the largest country in the world. They would read the sayings of Chairman Mao. And they would flip through a cultural revolution, flip that nation upside down. Because God has always used the lives of young people to do the impossible because they dreamed and believed that they could. But what happens when these young people, when the next generation gets turned on to things that really matter? What happens when a bunch of adults standing on a mountaintop, fearing this Philistine for days and days and days, this giant, and every single one of them fear and cower, and then a next generation youngster said, I don't need armor. I don't need it. All I need is five smooth stones and a sling, and I go in the name of the Lord, and he slays a giant. And his people are set free from bondage to the Philistines. It was a next generation young girl named Esther promoted the queen of Persia. She had a choice one night. She said, you risked your life going uncalled for, unsummoned into the courts of the king. It's either that or it's genocide for your people. You choose. And she boldly stood up and she saved an entire nation from being exterminated at the hands of the enemy. It was a 16-year-old king named Josiah who brought massive reform to the people of God. It was when God decided it's time for me to enter in this world and put an end to this brokenness 
that he chose a, a teenage virgin girl named Mary to be the delivery child of the promised heir of salvation into the world. See, when we begin to invest in the next generation, there are exponential results. When we begin to give them not what they want, but the things that they really need, then the results in that generation, in the lives of our people, will forever be changed. It has results for their children and for their children's to ch- for generations yet unborn. What is it that our people, that the next generation really needs to see? Some of us went, I think it was in 2007, went to a Hillsong conference at First Baptist Church of Orlando. And I remember being there, it was a Hillsong United, it was loud, it was crazy. I mean, these are like next, uh, next generation musicians leading just punk rock, grungy, all these crazy songs. And median age in that place was probably, had to be in the teens, people jumping up and down mosh pits and standing in front of me, diagonally across from me, uh, were two people, white hair, balding, a man and a woman. Had to be pushing 70, if not already there. And I remember thinking to myself, do they know that they're in the right concert hall? We're, we're, this is like Hillsong United. And as I sat there, I couldn't stop but, but watch them throughout the entire time that I was there. I, think, I don't think they're going to be able to make it in a mosh pit singing one way. I don't think it's going to happen. So I was watching and, and seeing what they did. I remember they just kind of stood there and and, and just tried to sing along with the songs that were being sung. And there was this one song that we started singing. In that moment, both of these elderly people lifted their hands in worship. And I remember it just completely captured my attention. And as I was watching them, I was looking at the words, singing the song. The song said, now unto the Lamb who sits on the throne, be honor and glory and praise. All of creation resounds with the song, talking about the greatness and the worth of our God. And for a moment there, there was this like huge dichotomy. And I was thinking about what moves old people of a generation before us whose faith was so dynamic, it was not only public passion, it was coupled with private devotion, a faith that lasts through the ups and downs of life versus a new generation who jumps up and down for the great things that they can do for God. And I thought about this, and I realized Our younger generations are constantly talking about the great things that we can do for God. God, I'm going to go to the nations. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to sacrifice this and that for you. Whereas the older generations don't talk so much about what they can do for God. But they talk about all the great things that they have done, that God has done for them. And at the end of the day, Our young people don't need to hear, you're going to be great, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, as the priority. They need to hear that, they need to have dreams. But before that, they need to see the greatness and the majesty and the worth of a God who had the whole world 
And he said to his father, I don't want to have the whole world and lose their soul. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ traded places with every single one of us. And it was his soul that became overwhelmed to the point of death, sorrow to the point of death. And then at the cross, it was Jesus Christ who took the weight and the sorrow and the guilt of the world upon himself, losing everything that he had so that we could gain everything that we need. At the end of the day, that's what our next generations need to see. They need us to continually show forth the greatness of our God, that he's the only one worth living for, that he's the reason that we live that he is bigger and stronger and sovereign, that he is bigger than our sin. He is bigger than our failure. He's bigger than our mistake. He's bigger than our dreams. He's bigger than our hopes. He's bigger than our past. He's bigger than our future, that God is greater than all of these things. That's what they need to see. That's what we need to see. That's what we continually need to push forth and shine forth to those who come behind us. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. That's the cry of their generation. Let's pray. As we reflect on the word of God, as our praise team comes up, I want to really challenge us to press in and allow this message to to turn within our hearts and to let it rend our hearts The generations to come are not the responsibility of the youth ministry or just the parents or just the people who have a title. It's the responsibility of the current generation. That means that's all of us. For those of you who are out there doing it, praise God. Keep doing it. You're making a difference. You're changing the world. You're changing generations yet unborn. Let's pray for more of that. Pray for the people that God has entrusted into your care. Maybe for others of us in here, we just feel like, hey, you know what? I've been sitting on the sidelines, hanging out with my own peers, and I realize that I need to do more. Because if I don't, then there are going to be devastating consequences for those who come behind. Maybe we're parents and we realize that we've been giving our children the world, but we've been bankrupting their soul. However, we need to respond Let's take a moment right now just to respond to God's word. And let's pray, not only praying confession or decision, but let's, let's decide something clearly, specifically. This week, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to begin coming out to our youth meetings, or I'm going to begin praying every day for the next generation, or I'm going to begin uh, having uh, a one-on-one with someone from our uh, college group, our youth ministry, whatever it might be, once a week. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's really allow this teaching not to fall on idle ears, but to really be moved into action. Let's spend a minute right now just praying to the Lord together. We can do that. Let's pray. God Almighty, we need you. Lord Jesus, we need you, God. Forgive us for our complacency, Lord God, in the next generation. Forgive us, Lord God, for being lax, Lord God, in our love for those who are behind us. Forgive us, Lord God, for being complacent, Lord God, in Lord God, but not what they want, Lord God, but not what they need, Lord God. He's been great, Lord God.
faith and presence, Lord God, that you really wake up and we pray that you the things that really matter. That you forgive us, Lord God, and that you cleanse us. God, let us just take small steps of faith, Lord God, wherever we are walking. If we can um, just maybe put our hand on the back or the shoulder or hold hands with the person next to us, one of you will be older than the other. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for the generation to come. Pray for the people next to you. You don't have to open your eyes or anything. Let's just pray. Just pray and begin to invest in them. For those younger, pray for those who are older. God, let them blaze the trails well so that we might follow in good footsteps. Help them to live well so that we would have a model to follow, so that we would have heroes to look up to. Unlike the heroes of this world that constantly fail, help them to be faithful even even when they struggle that they would continue to move forward and for the those who are praying for those younger pray that god would guard their hearts and watch them and would bless them and would fill them so that they would rise up as a generation of disciples waiting uh, waiting for a generation to rise up of selfless faith let's pray let's pray for one another if you can't just lift your voices. If you're sitting with a spouse, pray for your children, pray for the generations to come, pray for one another. Uh, Let's pray. Let's lift our our voices as a way of encouraging those around us. Uh, Let's pray for uh, the future as well as the past generation. Let's pray together. God Almighty, we need you, Lord God. We pray that you would do your work of grace, Lord God, and a blessing, Lord God, within your people, Lord God. That you would minister, Lord God, to these young sixth graders, Lord God, that they would rise up in the faith of Jesus Christ. That you would mold them, Lord God, and that you would make them into disciples, Lord God, who walk with you, Lord God, and grow in the truth, Lord God. That you would minister, Lord God, in this place, Lord God, and promise you, so that they would rise up, Lord God, as an army of God, ready to win the glory of Christ, Lord God. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you make us desperate for you, Lord God. Make us hungry for you, Lord God. Let the fire of revival, Lord God, sweep through their hearts, Lord God, and that you do your work in them, Lord God, for the glory of God amongst the nations. Oh, Jesus, we need you, Lord God. Jesus, we need you, Lord God. Father in heaven, we thank you that our mentors are not just people who are a couple years older than us, but as a church that we are involved in something that is multi and intergenerational. This is part of the beauty of the church, young and old, male and female, different socioeconomic status, different ethnic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different occupations, different whatever it might be across the spectrums of life. Thank you that in the differences we see the manifold beauty of God and that we can share that with others. We pray that you would help us not only to do that passively, but to do that actively, aggressively investing into the generations before and after us, particularly those to come, that we would not at the end of the day give them everything that they want and that forfeit and forfeit everything that they need. Help us to know what really matters so that we can show what really matters and we can pass that on to those who come behind. Thank you so much. We need you in order to do this. The task is great and apart from the work of your Holy Spirit and God Almighty, we cannot do this. Empower us, embolden us, strengthen us for the call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.